The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the In The Pen Podcast, part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. My name is Jake Crumpler. Today I'll be filling in for Callan as the host of the podcast. And as always, I am joined by Pitcherless's bullpen expert, expert, Rick Graham. Rick, how you doing? I'm doing well. You know, looking forward to this upcoming Thanksgiving break. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, hopefully we start seeing some more. It, it's been already a very, you know interesting and eventful off season, but hopefully we start seeing some more, uh, some more moves, you know, in the, in the coming weeks. Yes. My fingers are crossed as well. It's been about a month since we last talked. And since then we've seen the world series come to a close. We've seen the biggest reliever on the market get signed. We've seen all the non-tenders, the options we've seen the, uh, big BBWAA awards be announced as well. So we've had a lot going on, but today we're going to be talking about the 2022 season in review as it in terms of uh, relief pitchers, which because this is a relief pitcher podcast, but we're going to start out with those aforementioned signings. And right off the bat, I think we should hit the big one that really, I wouldn't say shock the world. I think a lot of people saw this coming, but this one is a uh, one for the record books. Edwin Diaz re-signed with the New York Mets as the first relief pitcher off the board, and he got five years and one hundred two million. What was your first thoughts about this when it happened? I was a bit shocked that it kind of happened so quickly, but I, I guess when you're offering that kind of money, uh, you know, unheard of money for a closer, then it's not too much of a decision decision for Diaz to make. So, you know, um. That's great. It's a great. It's great for him to be back there. It's great for the Mets. It's great for you know baseball. You get you know Timmy Trumpet stays in, in New York, and mm-hmm. they get all that. Um, I figured he was probably going to stay there, but you know it was. Ni- it's nice to see that locked up now, so we can kind of move on to the the next tier of um, you know relievers available. But yeah, good for Diaz for, for, from a fantasy standpoint. Mm-hmm. It's you know he, his value doesn't change. It's you know, it's locked in. So. Yeah, uh, probably best, probably best case scenario for for his landing spot. 
Yeah, definitely good for the Mets too, because they've got a lot of free agents right now in terms of the bullpen. But like I mentioned, it was a record-breaking contract. It broke Araldis Chapman's total value record, which was previously five years and eighty-six million. Like I said, Diaz got one hundred two million, so that was a he really blew it out of the water. And he also got the AAV record, the annual value record of eighteen million. That was uh, Liam Hendricks' previous record. It's now um, I don't know. I'd have to do the math on that. Over twenty million. It's about. Yeah. <laughs> About, yeah. So he got a $12 million signing bonus, comes with a full no trade clause, a club option for a sixth year as well that could push the deal to $122 million, And he can opt out after the third year. And uh, side note, $26.5 million is deferred. So that'll sort of allow the Mets to work around the large contract there. But yeah, that really solidifies the bullpen. They really didn't have any other guy in the bullpen currently right now their their best guy outside of Diaz was Drew Smith and I don't think you want him closing out games for a team with World Series aspirations so it's definitely good for them to lock down the best guy out there um do you have any idea of who you think the the next guy off the board is and who you think the the top guy in free agency is now if we're talking about closers it's probably I mean Jansen's going to probably be the next probably maybe only the, the only guy left that's almost guaranteed not guaranteed to close a role but the best chance to closing out games that's you know a free agent so i'd look for canley jansen and there's already some talks about him and the, and the giants which would be kind of interesting and kind of uh no fun for camilla duvall who i think pitched really well down the stretch last year and that would be uh be a bummer if he couldn't close out games next year but uh, yeah, I'd say Jansen might be the next, the next, next big name to, uh, mm-hmm. to sign. Yeah, that would, uh, I don't know. I'm sort of wary. We were talking about it before we hit record that the, about the Giants signing those upper, upper tier, mid to upper tier free agents like Mark Melanson a few years ago. That one did not turn out well. Jansen's getting up there in age, but I've said many times in the past that I think he's, he's one of the best closers of all time. And it's very clear if you look at his career numbers and stuff, but I don't know, it's hard to tell. And like Mm. you said, they have Doval. You don't really want to bury him in that bullpen and Jansen. I don't know how good he would be in a setup role or something like that, but that would follow the path of Jock Peterson who went from the Dodgers. He did, have a brief stop with the Cubs, but he went to the Braves and then the Giants. So I, I do see the parallels there. And, and Peterson is back with the Giants already through the call qualifying offer. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Definitely something to keep an eye on across the next month where Jansen ends up. But we've got a couple more signings that were pretty big. One that may have been surprising to many in terms of dollar value was Robert Suarez re-signing with the Padres for five years and $46 million. So we got the same amount of years that Edwin Diaz got uh, less than half amount of the money. But this, this was his first year in the majors because not only did he not debut in the majors before going overseas to Japan, but then he pitched in Japan for the last few years or so. And and this was his first year back stateside. And and he really had a good year that was somewhat marred by injuries, but he's a, a, seemed to be a really good pitcher. He's just also like 32 years old. How do you feel about this one? Do you think the Padres maybe overspent? I think they probably didn't have to go to this extent. Maybe we'll see. We'll see once other relievers start, you know, signing what the market looks like, but, I was before he signed. I was starting to think like, what what are the secondary closer options? And 
at, you know, after Diaz and Jansen and Suarez was the name that kept like I kept thinking like, you know, what if like a team like, you know, the Red Sox or one of those teams looking to maybe not spend on a big name closer, but still needs a closer. Uh, Suarez was definitely, definitely an interesting option, but um, paying him. Yeah. After just one year, I, he had a good year. I, I, I love this stuff. 98 plus with his fastball with a really good change up, which is, you know. A great combo and you know a lot of relievers are fastball slider fastball curveball so having that change ups you know awesome but five years 46 million for a setup guy who's you know only pitched 45 games last year i mean that's a, that's a lot to commit to but the we've seen how aggressive the padres have been and it it definitely at least gives them a you know a backup option if josh Hader, you know has some issues with his his control and command next year so and not to mention he's a free agent to be after next year so yeah i think this is a long run move for the padres i wonder if he becomes the closer after next year or, or maybe they even i don't i don't think they would try to trade hater but you know i think suarez is a nice a nice get for a team for the like the padres who are able to spend this type of money on a great you know setup option mm-hmm Definitely an expensive setup option for sure. He'll be able to opt out after the 2025 season, so after the third year of the contract. So that should be pretty interesting. In other Padres bullpen news, they also made another re-signing today, bringing Nick Martinez back on a three-year, $26 million deal. I wasn't sure whether or not to put him in here because he was sort of off and on as a starter, Mm -hmm. but he finished the year as a reliever and he even had some saves throughout the year. But it's a pretty interesting one. They signed both of the guys that they got from overseas this last offseason. So it's interesting that they brought them both back, but it seems like the Padres are doing their best to keep the band together uh, with Tatis probably returning or well, most definitely returning at some point next year. And maybe that's the the big thing that they're waiting for. But how do you feel about Nick Martinez going into 2023? Yeah. I mean, he really, he was okay in the, in the rotation, but then, you know, once he moved to the bull, bullpen full time, he kind of thrived out, out of that in that role. And uh, it's again, it's like kind of a, you look at the money and it's like, Oh, that seems like a lot on the surface, but um, you know, committing, what is it about 17 18 million dollars between him and Suarez per year um for a team like the Padres who are going to spend to the luxury tax or you know around there maybe go over that's not that's you know that's really nothing to to shore up the back end of the bullpen and you know Suarez made one mistake in the playoffs and you know Martinez was really good there and they looked like Hader was bouncing back so that gives you a pretty good three-headed um you know monster at the back end of the bullpen and for you know it's going to cost you a lot of money but like you know that's the one thing that the Padres kind of you know the we know the rotation if healthy is great the lineup with once they get Tatis back with Soto I mean the lineup is going to be fine so it's just the bullpen's kind of going to be there you know going to determine how far they go next year so at least they're spending money um, especially when you know there might not be a great class of free agents or, you know, as we kind of, you know, see Diaz resign and then once, you know, Jansen gets signed, um, kind of things dwindle out from there. So, you know, at least they take care of, they're taking care of their guys and they should, should 
I'm guessing Martinez is, is going to be a setup man, and that should give them, you know, a one-two punch behind Hader. Definitely, there's not too many options after this, but it's the getting Martinez back on the team is is probably good. But it, it'll be interesting to see how it turns out after this year. I'm reading on MLB Trade Rumors the structure of the contract is very weird. He gets $10 million as a base salary in 2023, which is the straightforward part. And after that, it it turns very convoluted. He'll have to, the club will be able to decide whether or not to trigger two $16 million club options for the next two years after that, 24 and 25. So essentially a $32 million extension. And mm. if they decline, then Martinez gets to decide whether or not to trigger two player options at $8 million each. So essentially a $16 million extension. And so that's why it comes out to a $26 million guarantee, but it could be about $42 million whether the Padres decide to exercise those two options for 24 and 25. So it's it's definitely a weird structure. It feels like, yeah, it's like, it's so uh, the team option would be, that's kind of the two year, $32 million seems like something that they would give to us like a third, fourth starter. Mm -hmm. So if he's, he ends up starting games, they might, you know, just, just go with that team option. But if he's ends up in the bullpen, they'll probably, unless he becomes like an elite closer or something, they'll probably decline it. So that'll be, yeah, that's going to be interesting to see. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what I was thinking. Um, Another sort of mid to upper tier reliever that got signed to not be a closer was Rafael Montero returning to the Astros world series champion Astros, as a matter of fact, and he got three years and 34 and a half million, which is pretty solid. This is probably what I would have expected for someone like Robert Suarez because Montero is sort of in the same boat. He has pitched a lot in the majors, but he's never really been good up until this last year and the half season he had in 21 with the Astros. So I, I think this is a situation where a team gets a hold of a guy and they find a path to success and it works out and they realize this is a new guy. This is not the guy that he was on all the previous teams he was on where he was jumping from team to team and not really finding any sort of success. And now he seems like a pretty solid to shut down reliever in the back end of that Astros bullpen. So three years, 34 million is pretty expensive for a guy that does not have a lot of war to his name, but, how are you feeling about this one? The Astros bullpen is still looking incredibly strong. Yeah, it's a it's a high you know AAV, but um, and if this was if this was Montero going to any other team, I would definitely be like you know probably stay away from him in holds leagues. But it, this is an Astros team that has you know worked their magic with pitchers and relievers and in, 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 you know in particular in the uh, the last couple of years, so. It's again, it's like one of, you know, they, they like you exactly like you said, it's they worked with them. They got the best out of them. They, they must feel confident going forward that, you know, this is sustainable. So, yeah, it's it's a lot. Again, I mean, that's you never used to see, you know, set up guys getting this type of money, but it's become a premium now to have those those top tier, you know, not one, but two or three relievers in your in your bullpen to you know, to win, to win in October. Mm -hmm. Well, the final bullpen signing was a interesting one. And it was Nick Anderson, who was previously non-tendered released, uh, not totally sure on that front by the Rays. 
And he signed with the Braves, and the contract will be eight hundred seventy-five thousand if he plays in the majors, and one hundred eighty k if he plays in the minors. The reason he only gets one year on that contract is because they didn't need to guarantee him more years than that because they do have control on him through twenty twenty-five because he was released, you know, during his arbitration eligibility. This one's definitely interesting because the Braves are known to stack their bullpen pretty incredibly they have done that over the past couple of years and nick anderson has shown the ability to be really good in the past but when i went back and looked at his fan graphs page i was very surprised to see that he's basically pitched one season i don't know i don't know how that happened how we got the impression that he was like one of the best pitchers in the majors but it was like 65 innings in 2019 16 in 2020 and then six this past year and uh, i don't know i for some reason i remember him being like one of the most trusted relievers in baseball and he's really only pitched one good year so i am i was very confused but you know he definitely has some potential yeah it's it's been a while you know since we saw the nick and nick anderson that we all get excited for and think you know remember but um, I mean, this is definitely on what can you, you can't really lose anything here if you're the Braves, uh, taking a chance on what has been and, you know, just, I guess, not just three years ago, but three years ago was an elite, you know, reliever, one of the best in baseball. And it'll be interesting to see if either him or both him and I, I, I believe Kirby Yates still has, uh, the, a year left. Um, so. You know, he didn't give them much last year, but now another year removed from Tommy John, maybe he can uh, can actually can help can help them out with the, you know the loss of Jansen. It's gonna give them some openings there, especially for a right-handed uh, reliever at the back end of the bullpen. Yeah, it should definitely be interesting. I'm not sure I'll be rooting for him considering his exploits on Twitter and stuff during the season uh, with our own Yancey Eaton. Well, not our own. He does not write for Pitcherless, but he is a great friend of the site. He's been a <laughs> honorable Pitcherless member. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's definitely an interesting one. It was definitely pretty weird to see him be non-tendered in the first place. But I mean, the Rays are going to do that kind of thing more than often. Mm-hmm. Uh, so d- definitely interesting to see him sign with a team that's not only really good at getting the most out of the relievers, but they have just such a stacked bullpen that they don't really need to rely on him too heavily. So they won't overwork him. He won't have the pressure of having to be a closer or whatever. So it, it should be interesting to see what turns out there. But uh, yeah, I'm not sure they're going to need him closing out games since they have Rice Iglesias out there. Yeah, and I think AJ Minter too would probably be you know he's gonna be back in that that number two spot. So yeah, mm-hmm. they could take it. They can kind of take it easy with him and let him get right and healthy. Because I I still don't know if he's completely healthy. He's been you know dealing with all sort sorts of arm issues since twenty 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 one. So yeah, who knows what we're, what they're gonna get? But definitely worth a shot at that. You know, under a million dollars. Mm -hmm, Definitely. So before we get into the main event of the evening, we're going to go over some options that were either exercised or declined and 
cover a couple of non-tender guys as well. So let's start out with the club options that were declined. They were Brad Boxberger, Scott Oberg, and Will Smith. A few old guys that don't really fit on their clubs anymore because their options were probably too expensive. So they still have the opportunity to re-sign with their teams, but it will be at a lower cost. And they also have the opportunity to sign elsewhere. Do one of these names stand out amongst the rest? Um, you know, Oberg has been a while, unfortunately, he's had some, some serious health issues. Mm -hmm. Um, definitely was a fan of him a few years ago though. Uh, Boxberger has kind of started, he had a little bit of a resurgence last year of Milwaukee, but I think it's starting to decline and I, I, he's probably best suited in a middle relief role somewhere this year. And then you know Will Smith, it's it's really been a fall. That's been a fall from grace for him. You know, heading into I mean, let's see, February of like well, twenty of this year, he was, you know, sh- slated to be the closer in Atlanta, and wound up getting traded at the deadline after Jansen came in and got traded to Houston, where he ended up just kind of not having much of an impact at all there. Um. Yeah, I don't know what kind of market he's going to have, but it's still an interesting name to keep an eye on if he goes to possibly like a, a smaller market team or a team that just doesn't have a ton of depth in the bullpen just because of his closer experience. You know, you never want to completely count him out for saves in a season. Mm-hmm. I think alongside the closer experience, there's really not many lefties out there on the market. So he could yeah. have a pretty lots of interest out there because right now the top guys are like Matt Moore, Taylor Rogers. Um, uh, it's sort of about, about yeah. it. There, there's not too many options. So I think there's a shot that some teams are pretty interested in, in him chafing as well. But so he, he may have some interest because, you know, every team always needs a, le- a lefty reliever. Brad Hand's still out there too, but, so I, I think he's definitely going to get picked up and he really wasn't horrible last year. He wasn't like amazing. He didn't blow anybody's socks off, but when he went to Houston, he had a three, two, seven ERA across 22 innings and that came with a 2.66 FIP. So he was pitching pretty well. Um, I doubt he returns back to Houston after they decline the option, but they still don't have any lefties in their bullpen like it was last year. So mm-hmm. I could, he could return there. So that's definitely a landing spot for him. In terms of club options that were exercised, so guys that were will stay with their teams, we've got Jose Leclerc, Anthony Bass, and Daniel Hudson. So Leclerc will be back with the Rangers. Bass will be back with the Blue Jays. Daniel Hudson, whose option was exercised in September after he was injured, will be back with the Dodgers. I think there's a pretty obvious name that's the most interesting here, but we, we've got some older guys that had some resurgences here. Who are you most excited to possibly draft next year in fantasy? Yeah, I mean, Bass and Hudson should still have, as long as Hudson's healthy, they should have you know pretty significant um, setup roles, maybe not being the top setup man for their team, but they should be in the holds, um, you know, the holds market, but uh, Jose Leclerc's definitely, yeah, the interesting name here. Um, I hope he, you know, he, he it took him a while last year, but after the All-Star break, he was really good. And Leclerc's definitely, you know, a, you know, a guy who can, you know, have K rates as, as you know, an elite level. So interesting name. I 
to keep an eye on. I don't think early ADPs, he's not going very high. So definitely got to keep an eye on late rounds. Um, Texas seems like they want to spend, but again, I don't know what, what closers they can really go after that are going to supplant Leclerc. So right now I'd say he's got a, least a 60% chance, 70% chance of, you know, hanging on as the closer there. And def- so if, if you know, that definitely gives me, gets me excited for, you know, taking him late, late in drafts this year and seeing how that pans out. Yeah. That sounds like a pretty solid golden ticket at the end of the draft for a guy that could end up being really solid, especially because I wouldn't say the Rangers are terrible. So he does have mm-hmm. a shot at getting a lot of wins and, if last year is any indicator, they played a lot of one-run games. They lost a lot of one-run games last year, but that luck can always flip on a coin. So we'll see how that turns out next year. But yeah, I love that he's sort of almost by himself out there with uh, Jonathan Hernandez, maybe Joe Barlow pushing him a little, but uh, I wouldn't be too scared about those guys. So that's a pretty interesting one. Let's move on to mutual options that were declined mostly by teams. I think they're both by teams. We got Michael Givens and Ian Kennedy. Neither are super exciting, mostly set up guys or closers on really bad teams. Mm. But yeah, I mean, G- Givens has been pretty interesting. Who do you like the most out of Givens and Kennedy? At this point, definitely Givens. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, I still think I always get like like hopeful about Givens because, you know, there's a lot to like, you know, under the under the hood there and I just feel like we haven't gotten that full, you know, um, consistent season from him yet. There's been a lot of ups and downs, and he'll still definitely get a look. He'll he'll definitely get picked up and have an opening day roster spot as long as he's healthy. So uh, probably not as a closer anywhere, but you you never know. There's still there's about ten to twelve teams that it's still unsure of. You know who's going to be closing out games for them. So. Um, but yeah, I'll take Gibbons over Kennedy right now. <laughs> yeah, good choice. You <laughs> mentioned his uh, inconsistency, and I, I think it's worth it to point out that he's played on two teams each of the last three years, yeah. and that could definitely b- play a big part. In 2020, it was like two one-month samples, but the results couldn't be more disparate. Uh, in the first half of 2020, he had a 1.38 ERA with Baltimore, and then he moved to Colorado, which is uh, very hard to pitch in, but he had a 6.75 ERA. And then the next year, 2021, he had a 2.73 ERA in the first half, then went to Cincinnati and had a 4.22 ERA. And then this past season, 2022, he had a 2.66 ERA in the first half with the Cubs and then a 4.79 ERA in the second half with the Mets. So it seems like maybe if he could find one place where he's comfortable and playing for the whole year, it's like more Mm -hmm. of a mental thing that he can carry over that first half success. But each of the past three years, he's had a very good first half and it's sort of all gone to waste once he's changed team. So I don't know. It should be interesting. He's probably hoping to sign a multi-year deal so that he doesn't have to deal with something like that being traded right away. But you never know. And maybe he really doesn't care as long as he's getting his money. Yeah. If he can find, you know, maybe sign with a team that's going to likely make the playoffs, then he should be safe. But yeah, that is interesting to see that he, he it's been either he's just struggles in the second half or maybe it's just, yeah, the change of scenery, which is probably more like likely because that's, you know, can obviously be stressful and being in a new a new environment pitching, and you know, can definitely can definitely affect your performance. Mm-hmm. 
And for player options, we only had one player decline their option, and that was Andrew Chafin of the Detroit Tigers. So he is now a free agent. I think he's got a lot of potential. He missed like the first month or so this past year, and he came back and he was pretty strong. 2.83 ERA across 57 and a third inning, so a pretty solid sample, and that follows up his 1.83 ERA from 2021. So this is maybe one of the more underrated left-handed relievers in baseball, and I feel like he might be pretty coveted if he can, I don't know, find a market for... No, I don't know. The team's looking for a strong left-handed right. pitcher, so it should be pretty which, wide. Yeah, which I mean, it was a lot of a lot of teams right now, and like you, I mentioned earlier, there, there's maybe five, you know, quality veterans, left-handed relievers that you can count on here. And Chafin's either number one or two, depending on how you feel about Taylor Rogers. So, yeah, he should definitely have a big market. He is, you know, I definitely wise of him to opt out because he should get a, a nice little payday here from a, from a team. So yeah, I don't, again, probably not a closer, but definitely, you know, still a, a holds option. And I would imagine a team, you know, in, in the playoff race or someone, a team, you know, looking to contend this year will be looking to sign him to a, you know, two or three year deal probably. Definitely. And for the last section of this part of the podcast, we're going to talk about a few players that were non-tendered. There were a lot of very low-tier relievers that were non-tendered. One of them we mentioned uh, before the podcast was Yarling Garcia. He's been very good for the Giants this past couple of years or so, but you know that's the type of names we're going to be skipping out on talking about right now, the very bottom tier of relievers. But some notable names were actually released by teams and that includes Alex Reyes of the Cardinals who has some of the best stuff in all of baseball that just literally has no ability to stay healthy. Do you think he could find his way to a team where he can actually contend for saves and go back reach his potential that he's shown in the past? Yeah, it's definitely, definitely possible. I just don't, it's hard to, you know, you can't count on it and, um, he'll, he'll definitely get looks. He'll probably get multiple offers, but you're, you're probably looking at a year by year thing with him. And, um, it'll be interesting to see where he goes. I'm guessing, I think I've seen like the Miami has been kind of connected to him, which would be interesting because he's better than Dylan Floro. And I'd love to see him, you know, go in there and stay healthy and, you know, take over that role. Cause he, he could be a huge, um, huge asset right there so yeah definitely too early to give up on him but at the same time you can't team shouldn't be looking to sign him you know thinking oh we have we figured out our closer you know situation now Mm -hmm. so if whatever you get from him's you know gravy i guess is the is the term yeah his arm could just fall off at any moment to be Mm -hmm. honest if you look at his fangraphs page he debuted in 2016 with 46 innings and then i'm pretty sure he had tommy john surgery after that so he didn't pitch again until 2018 he had four innings he had three innings in 2019 so that's seven innings across a three-year span and then 2020 he had about 20 more innings and then 2021 he pitched 72 innings that's his biggest workload and i remember he was really great in the first half was really out pitching his peripherals and fell off a lot in the second half, lost the closer role to Giovanni Gallegos. And then he 
was injured prior to the 2022 season and didn't pitch. So that's a lot of not pitching uh, across the entirety of his career. So since debuting in 2016, he's pitched 145 innings and he'll now be entering his age 28 season. So I don't know. It's he's going to have to show the ability to stay healthy if he wants to, you know, actually be a factor on these teams. But like we've said, like anybody that's watched him pitch knows he has a lot of potential in his arm. The other two guys that were non-tendered were Reyes Maranta and Art Warren. Maranta is not really a super well-known name, but he's always been pretty good. I just don't know why he doesn't stick around teams too much. He was pretty good with the Giants for a couple of years, 2018 and 2019. He had a sub-3 ERA. He also had a sub-3 ERA in 2020 with them. And then in 2022, he pitched for a couple other NOS teams in the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks. And for his career, he has a 3 ERA across 170 innings pitched. Do you think he's a really underrated guy that might be able to be a really solid middle relief to set up option. And do you think he has a chance at closing for a really bad team? Or do you think this is just, you know, lower tier guy? Yeah, I don't. So I was actually hoping he would stay in Arizona. I thought he had a chance to close out games there potentially with how, you know, dire the situation is in their bullpen, but um, probably more of a middle reliever at this point. And he's still, I feel like he's still kind of working back from the shoulder, shoulder surgery. And the velo's starting to creep back up, and so I, yeah, I'm kind of surprised. Uh, you know, the like the Diamondbacks need talented pitchers and relievers in general. So I, a little surprised they kind of just gave up on him. Um, but yeah, I, I'd look for him to latch on as a middle reliever and potentially move up the ladder depending on what team he's in and how his uh, how his arm looks. Hmm. The final guy who was non-tender that we'll mention very quickly, who's also maybe mentioned later on in the podcast, is Art Warren of the Reds. Uh, No longer of the Reds, he was non-tendered because he will have elbow surgery and he'll probably be out for a while possibly the entire 2023 season. So we may not see him next year, but the reason we're mentioning him is because there was so much hype surrounding him entering the 2022 season as he could have possibly been the Reds closer. And he really showed out in 2021 pitching to a 1.29 ERA across 21 innings. And he really struggled in 2022. And now we sort of see why he was probably dealing with that elbow problem throughout 2022. So this is definitely a guy that maybe a team takes a flyer on in, in one of those two-year deals with the second year being a club option. So you can sort of let him rehab and then make a decision from there. But do you see any promise still left in Art Warren, even just from that small sample of success in 2021? Yeah, I know. I got, I got kind of suckered into that small sample of success. (laughs) I was really high on him going into last year and yeah, that didn't turn out to, uh, that didn't work out at all. So you know he's been. It's not just this injury. He's he's had injuries pretty much throughout his career. That's kind of been what's held him back. And I would love to say that a team would give him one of those two year, you know, deals that lets him get a full year of recovery from Tommy John. But I don't know. He might not even. I don't know if he's got a long enough um, track record to to get that. So he's he's got a bit of an uphill battle getting back but i hope he can get healthy and get back to at least that small sample we got we got a taste of last year in 2021 yeah last year that's that that was um he was one of 
in that small sample, one of the best relievers in baseball. So if he can just, you know, stay healthy, get back to that. I know it's a lot to say. That's a lot to do, but um, still definitely a name to keep an eye on for 2024, I guess it is now. Wow. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're getting old. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. So next we're going to talk about some closers who outperformed or underperformed their preseason ranks in a sort of year in review type segment. But before that, we're going to take a quick break. And we're back on In the Pen here to talk about closers who outperformed or underperformed their preseason ranks in terms of their draft value this past season. We're going to start with guys that outperformed, and we've got a pretty solid list and very exciting names. And I think we'll start with one of my favorite teams to meme on, and that's the uh, Colorado Rockies with the recently extended Daniel Bard. How did you feel about him coming into this season? Uh, did not see this coming at all. And- I was was a little skeptical, you know, staying in Colorado and the peripherals were, you know, hit or miss, um, you know, him getting getting up there in age. I thought he might have been in for a down season and they brought in Alex Colomay who gave him, you know, some competition or was supposed to give him some competition to close out games there. And, you know, Barr just took the job and ran with it and was one of the you know, for for roto leagues was one of the best closer options, and you know, out there with I think he had thirty four saves. So, mm-hmm. um, crazy, crazy to think I would not have guessed that going into the season. And I'm very, I don't know where to see. I'm trying to think of where these guys all, sh- you know, what their value is this year. And with Bard, it's. I'm still, I don't know why I'm still not bought in here. I don't know if it's again age or what it, Colorado, but I, I, I'm still having a hard time buying in at, you know, this current value. Definitely. It's, it's really hard to trust pitchers that are in Colorado, but this was really a, age 37 breakout that I don't know many people saw coming. He's really throwing harder than he has ever in his career, but we, we saw glimpses of it in the past couple of years as he made his comeback from, I don't know, the recesses of baseball. But yeah, 2020 was pretty solid. But last year, 2021, he had a 5.21 ERA and he came back this year with a 1.79 mark that came with a very solid strikeout percentage at 28%. And like you said, 34 saves. So he was really an unheralded reliever. It was a guy that I was avoiding because I don't trust the Rockies at all. And also pitchers in Coors just scare the poop out of me <laughs> for sure uh yeah it's hard to trust them at all but he really came through this year and cool to see him get that bag of course the rockies are going to extend a 37 year old closer for two years but yeah he'll be around for the next couple of years it'll be very interesting to see if he can keep that going but like you said it's hard to pin down where he's going to go in drafts next year and i think i'm going to be avoiding him again and not only because my aforementioned reasons of him being on a team that I find to be somewhat stupid and pitching in a the worst environment for a pitcher, but also because he will be 38. It's it's he's coming off his best year, like he's going to have an inflated draft value. It's going to be very hard to 
get myself to click the button on that when the time comes. But, you know, if he falls really far in drafts and people are thinking the same thing that I am, he's got a pretty clear path to saves out there in Colorado. In an early NFBC drafts, he's going right now at 122 in between Joanne Duran and Alexis Diaz. Oh and, my gosh. So that's. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. I think I'm going to. He is, you know, more of a sure thing, but I think I want to take the upside on one of those two guys. Yeah, I definitely agree. I would not want to risk him maybe probably even inside the top 200. So, yeah, Yeah. I guess I won't be having any Daniel Bard on my teams next year. (laughs) But that's fine with me. The next guy that outperformed his preseason ranks was David Robertson. This is another guy who was in his age 37 season. I was not expecting much of him. This is a guy who has not been able to stay healthy over the past few years, pitching only 18 and two thirds innings since the end of 2018. So that's over a three year span. He pitched 18 innings. That's six innings a year. Not too great, but he really came back strong this year, especially in the first half with the Cubs. He pitched to a 2.23 ERA and had 14 saves and then kept it going in Philly for a team that made it to the World Series. He had a 2.70 ERA and six more saves. So very solid year from a guy that I did not have any expectations for. And it's pretty interesting to see what's going to happen to him now because isn't he a free agent? Yes, he is too. And I don't can't imagine the market's going to be too. I mean, he's not going to be a. He's again, he's below Jansen in the closer ranks. So I, I, I don't. Yeah, it's he's a huge wild card um, as far as where he lands and what what role he has. It could really go anywhere. Yeah, I I find it hard to see him landing as a closer considering his age and probably his desire to try to play for a contender. It looks like he did get a ring in 2009 with the Yankees, but since then he has not had much success in finding another one. So I, I'm not sure what his priorities are, but I'm sure at his age mm-hmm. he's probably not too worried about the money aspects. He probably just wants to win so we'll, we'll see how that goes but I, I don't know i don't think i'll be risking anything on him in terms of draft picks until i find out where he ends up and i probably wouldn't risk a lot unless i see him end up on a team that's not too great so like if he went to the d-backs or something a team that doesn't have really any prospects that could take over the closer role right now and have the ability to deploy him in that role and and possibly trade him at the deadline, then I might be interested. Yeah. But if he signs like back with the Phillies or something, I like even in that situation where he, we know he closed out some games there, I still wouldn't be super confident in in drafting him inside the top two hundred. Yeah, it looks like right now he's at, he's well outside the top three hundred uh, for Good. early early drafts. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, you're right. I think the Diamondbacks are like the one team that yeah, like if they. Diamondbacks just keep wanting to bring in veteran closers for one-year deals. Like maybe, maybe he's worth it. He'd be worth a shot then. But yeah, for now, probably staying away. Mm-hmm. Probably the biggest breakout in the bullpen was Ryan Helsley of the St. Louis Cardinals. He was one of my favorites because he really helped out my home league team that 
really didn't get many closers. It was Ryan Presley and then just nobody else. So getting Helsley off the wire super early in the season was really good. It was all a result of him adding around two miles per hour to his fastball. And that really made the whole difference. And he was absolutely unhittable in the season. He had a 1.25 ERA across 64 innings. He saved only 19 games, partly because they used the Cardinals used him in a plethora of roles, sometimes multi-inning, sometimes as a setup man, switching off with Giovanni Gallegos. And so he sort of split the closer role, but he's provided so much value, even if you're in a league that like saves aren't super important. He was really just so good the whole season. How do you feel about Helsley going into next season? And and did you have any sort of inkling that there was a shot he could have done this going into the season? He's always kind of teased it before, but this year he he had a, there was a big jump in Velo and, you know, that obviously had a had a major impact on him, and it was you know we, there was like always concerns in another guy you kind of concerned about will he hold up or, you know how's the arm hang like you know the health concerns but he made it through the season and despite a kind of a weird playoff outing um, you know he should be ready to go next year and. You're kind of right. I, I do like him a little bit better in like a saves hold league because there is, I mean, Gallegos is still there and there's just, I don't, he's like, Helsley's 99% the closer, but he's not like some of these other guys where you're just not sure, um, just not sure what exactly usage you're, you're going to get from him, but Right now where he's being drafted, he's kind of in between. He's around the, you know, Felix Batista, Camilo Duvall, Rossiel Iglesias, uh, those names. So I think out of that group, I could definitely see an argument for him being the top guy there. Yeah, that seems like a pretty solid range for him. I'm I'm still sort of wary that a guy that jumped so high in VLO and seems to be somewhat reliant on it is going to be able to continue mm-hmm. that and avoid being injured. But it, it it's hard to tell right now. It, it should be interesting to see how he starts off next season. It'll be important to watch his VLO in spring training and see if it's still there. For sure. So the next guy we've got is Alexis Diaz, one of the biggest breakout rookie relievers of the season who took over for the Reds after just a, a an off season where the Reds really didn't add anybody of substance. And it sort of looked like Lucas Sims was going to take over the role and then he got injured and it sort of left it wide open. I think that's why many people were interested in art Warren, but it really didn't turn out that way. Like we mentioned before, Warren was just absolutely awful, but Alexis Diaz really took the reins and and sort of ran with it. They really didn't give him too many opportunities to be the closer. They seemed to like want to keep him away from that. Maybe that's to keep him cheaper when it comes to arbitration, but he really was incredible all year. 1.84 ERA across 63 innings. He saved 10 ball games. This is the younger brother of Edwin Diaz. So, I mean, I don't think anybody had expectations for him before the season. I'm not sure anybody knew who he was before the season. He was pitching in double A in 2021, but do you think he's going to be sort of a mini Edwin Diaz next year? I hope so, but I, you know, I don't. I got my hopes up for Art Warren. I know Diaz had a bigger sample <laughs> yeah. size than Art Warren, but uh, and now you got me thinking too about like them trying to keep his, you know, arbitration costs down, and that's why Hunter Strickland was closing out games last year mm-hmm. over him, which is just okay. Um, don't get that at all, I, no matter what, but. 
yeah, what they're going to imagine if they bring in, you know, David Robertson for a year and he ends up mm-hmm. closing out games. <laughs> but I, I either way and hold saves holds leagues. You definitely want, you know, shares of Alexis Diaz. And yeah, he is kind of a little bit of a mini, you know, Edwin um, potentially, you know, he's, he's that's just his rookie coming off his rookie year. So he's got some room to grow. And right now he's around pick 135, which is, a little i mean i love the talent but that might be a little high for me compared mm-hmm. con- considering that there's you know other factors as to we aren't guaranteed he's going to close out games for a reds team that's you know we don't know what their motivations are you know that's just how things have been with them lately with them trying to shed pay shed uh payroll and not exactly put the best team on the field so yeah um you know clay holmes is around that same range i'd, I'd rather take a shot at him right now um, but still, if you if DS falls and you know he's a solid number one slash two, you know closer to take a chance on. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of Clay Holmes, since you brought him up, this was a guy that I don't think many saw as having the ability to take over the closer role from Aroldis Chapman, but considering Chapman's struggles over the past couple of years, we maybe should have seen this coming, especially after Holmes's second half run with the Yankees since after being acquired at the deadline, he had a one six one ERA in the second half for the Yankees in 2021 carried that over to this season, a 2.54 ERA across 63 innings. He saved 20 ball games. He was basically the closer all season. He had some injury hiccups and seemed to, uh, sometimes seed the ninth inning to other guys, but still an incredible year to show that the changes that he made last year since coming over to the Bronx actually stuck and, and made him one of the best relievers in baseball. Considering the fact that he sort of faded down the stretch, do you have any reservations for him going into next season? And, you know, I'm, is he uh, one of the top 10 closures in baseball right now? Oof. Um, he's on that fringe, like that 10, 11, 12 area. Um, I think, you know, it was encouraging to see him. He pitched better in the playoffs. I wouldn't say he was, you know, he wasn't his first half elite self. He wasn't getting as many swings and misses and strikeouts, but he looked better. Uh, I don't think we're, I don't, yeah, I don't think we're like out of the woods here yet with him um, because the second half was really rough and he was just, you know, hitters were not having, were having a very, you know, easy time seeing the ball against him. And that's something that, in the first half, they weren't. They were just out up there guessing. So some adjustments need to be made for him. And you know, you also got to wonder. You know, a huge sinker bar like Holmes with the shift being you know taken away. That's mm. what kind of impacts that going to have. So um, that said, I I don't think we'll see what the Yankees do with this offseason. If they lose Judge, then they might just you know sign as everyone else but <laughs> yeah. I, I i wonder because they're 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 gonna be a little bit tight i know like they like to they'll spend they'll spend they'll go over the luxury tax but still they have some you know bad contracts there that they have to kind of work around so i don't know if they're gonna be able to spend on a on another big time closer or reliever so i think holmes is probably the favorite to open the year as the the yankees closer and that's always a good good spot to be in 
Yeah, that was a really good point about the shift. I, I wasn't considering that. But yeah, as a guy who relies really heavily on ground balls, maybe more than anyone else, doesn't he have the highest ground ball rate in baseball? He was at like 86% at yeah, the point last like, year. Like, yeah, <laughs> world record breaking. Yeah, yeah, just the most ground ball reliant pitcher in baseball over the last maybe decade or so. So yeah, that's definitely an interesting point. The The shift might play a big role on him. But, you know, it, it's still hard to tell how the shift is going to play out considering it's not super drastic. You just can't have like three guys on one side of the bag, but you, know, you can basically have a guy standing mm-hmm. up the middle. So we'll see how that goes. But you mentioned his first half and second half. He had a 1.31 ERA in the first half and a 4.84 ERA in the second half. And I'm pretty sure I remember that you, when you were looking it up, trying to look into it, that players just weren't chasing his slider out of the zone. They were yeah. just waiting for the sinker to come. So Maybe it's a tunneling thing. Maybe it's a pitch tipping thing. Maybe it's just like some uh, him being tired in the second half. It will be interesting to see if the Yankees can pitch around that. But I think he's going to need some help out there because we saw in the second half when he did struggle, that was when basically half of the bullpen went down with injury. So maybe that's a thing they were relying on him a bit too much, or maybe it was a mental thing. He didn't feel like he had the support out there. It was just him by himself. So that'll be interesting to see how they sort of beef up that bullpen behind him in the off season, or if all the other guys can get back healthy before the season starts. Yeah. They're going to have to add some, some pieces there with, you know, F Ross is now out for the year and, Mm-hmm. Uh, Chad Green, even though he's a free agent, he's not going to pitch next year. But the, they'll get Michael King back, and Luisa will look better towards the, sec- the end of the year too. So they got those three, and then it's yeah, building from there. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite breakouts of the season, not really a breakout. I, I don't know how to consider rookies and breakouts. You know, it, it, every time I see a breakout list, people will put rookies on there. I'm like, there's not a breakout. He didn't break out from anything. He just debuted. But nonetheless, uh, my opinions aside, Felix Bautista had an incredible debut season right up there with Alexis Diaz. And he may have set himself up to have an even higher draft day value than Diaz because he's on a team that has playoff aspirations and was actually good this past season, has a really favorable ball, ball ballpark, and he doesn't really have much competition out there. Felix Bautista pitched to a 2.19 ERA with the Orioles and he got 15 saves, most of which coming in the second half after the team traded away Jorge Lopez. I this guy's really interesting. He's massive. He throws really hard. He's on a team that's really good in a ballpark that's very favorable. How are you feeling about Felix Bautista going into the next season? I'm pretty. I was going to say I was all in, but then I saw his his current. You know, he's being taken right now. The last 20 drafts in NF. In NF uh, BC leagues at 66 overall. Holy moly! Which is, um, I know there's like a little bit of an extra, va- you know, value put on closers there because saves are at a premium. But that's a, uh, that's right behind Devin Williams and Ryan Presley, and you know, I guess that's kind of where he should be. Um, but and then you, yeah, you know, looking at his min max, his min is 22, his max is 108. So that's kind of telling too that he's a little bit, you know, bit of the wild card in that second tier of closers i guess um but yeah i love i don't see any reason as long as he's healthy which i assume you know he kind of left last year with a bit of a knee injury but probably something minor um if he's healthy he should he'll be the he'll be the orioles closer and that's another team that you know looks they should be taking a step forward again next year 
I guess that might not even be fair to say because that means they make the they would make the playoffs. But um, it's a good. I mean, they're they're going to be a decent team, and he's going to get a bunch of chances there. And there's no reason to think his his stuff doesn't stick because he's kind of a kind of a bit of a freak with his fastball splitter combination, and even his third pitch his slider is not. You know, it's probably one of the better third offerings that any, any closer you know has out there. Mm-hmm. I sort of see a parallel between him and Class A going into last year mm-hmm. as like a guy that has really great stuff is on a team where he seems to be the outright closer, but hasn't really completely proven himself. And so I'm, I'm feeling pretty confident in Bautista going into next season. I might change my mind a little bit as the offseason goes on and I actually participate in some drafts. But right now he seems like a pretty appealing like second tier option that has a lot of upside, which is the big deal. But, you know, when you're taking guys inside the top 100, that's usually when I want to be safe. So that might be the only thing holding me back there. We have a few setup guys that really broke out this past season. They really didn't get a lot of saves other than one of them, but we've got Evan Phillips, Jason Adam, John Schreiber, and Rafael Montero. Montero, Montero, we already talked about a little bit. He's uh, really w- was a really great setup man, but we, we went on him about length uh, at length enough. The interesting guys were Evan Phillips, who had, I feel like he had the lowest ERA in baseball, very low ones. Jason Adam was right up there for a long time, and he was basically the main closing option in Tampa Bay and then John Schreiber who broke out as I'm pretty sure he's a rookie, right? Technically, yeah. Uh. Yeah. So he had a, a big rookie debut that was pretty interesting. Oh, oh, he's he's played for four seasons, but he didn't Never, break his uh, rookie yeah. eligibility. Okay, that makes sense. But yeah, two point two two ERA from Schreiber. Uh, we'll we'll start with him first since he's on uh, your beloved Red Sox. <laughs> what do you think the difference was for him this year in Boston, and how are you feeling about him going into next season? Could he possibly take over the closer role? Um. I think so. I, the, if they are serious about, you know, how can Whitlock both being in the rotation, then that opens up, you know, he's really the only trustworthy reliever they have at the moment. So there's definitely a chance of him being a closer. I think he's better. I think they like him better off in that like seventh, eighth inning role where he can, he, he's a guy that he, he's, you know, a great weapon to have at the end of the game because, he does get swings and misses, but he's another he's another ground he's another ground ball guy. You know, kind of dropped his arm slots to become a sinker slider guy. And um, if you you need to get a double play ball or something, you know, late in the games, you can bring him in. But definitely a chance he still closes because it's no one. I mean, no one really knows what the Red Sox are going to do this off season. It's kind of you know. Some people think they're going to spend. Some people think they're not going to do anything, really. So it's up in the air right now. Yeah, very good points. I, uh, it should be really interesting to see how that pitching staff works out on a team that somehow finished last place in a really difficult division. So, I mean, anything can happen out there in Boston. And Phillips and Adam, they're not really linked, but I see them as very similar guys. They they really had big breakout seasons this year. Phillips had a 1.14 ERA for the Dodgers. Adam had a 1.56 ERA for the Rays. They both were very consistent throughout the season, and they both sort of are in the same situation now where they're on a team that has a lot of options but doesn't have a clear-cut closer, especially now with Kimbrell as a free agent. 
and Nick Anderson out of the picture in Tampa Bay. So, I mean, both of these guys could end up being the closers for their teams, but these are both teams that are very analytically focused and, and may shy away from something like that. Who would you rather have here and who, who do you have more confidence in going into next season? I have a little bit more confidence in Jason Adam. Um, I think Phillips Phillips was, was good. He was their most trusted reliever. Um, I think Adam has a little bit more swing and miss ability. Um, so I'm going to take, I'll take that despite how, how well both of them pitched. I, I, I think, um, and I, I gotta, you gotta wonder the Dodgers are probably going to try to, they're going to add to that bullpen. They're going to, you know, they have a couple holes there. So it'd be interesting to see how they retool things, but Phillips will still be a big part and, you know, Adam will be a big part in Tampa Bay as well. So, but I, I'll, I'll take Adam because there is really nothing in his profile that, you know, you can pick, like pick at and say like, he needs to, this needs to be better. He was really just unreal last season. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they can keep that up. I, I really don't see them having low ones ERAs again, but it'll be interesting to see if they can be top tier relievers again and possibly get a lot of saves. So now moving to the other side of the coin, we've got the guys who underperformed their preseason ranks. We're going to move. We're going to start with probably the biggest one, Craig Kimbrell, who had a very weird preseason offseason season. Uh, he was on the White Sox and everybody knew he was getting traded because they had Liam Hendricks and he wasn't good in a setup role. And many people drafted him hoping to get a discount before he got traded. And then after he got traded to the Dodgers, everyone lost their freaking minds and with <laughs> drafting him so early, so crazy. They were like, this is this guy's he's going to get his stuff back being on a team. That's really good at getting the most out of their pitchers. And he's going to get a lot of saves on one of the best teams in baseball. And that just did not happen. He never seemed to get comfortable. He pitched to a 3.75 ERA, which is not terrible, but it's not Craig Kimbrell. And he got only 22 saves on the team with the best record in baseball. I, it, it makes sense considering how he's performed the last few years, but it's very disappointing for guys that spent a high amount of draft capital on him. How do you feel about him going into next year? I mean, especially as a free agent, we're not really sure what's what team he ends up with. Like, I don't know. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I had, I think I, I fell for it. I think I had him like five or six heading into the season um, because yeah, I thought, you know, t- given what he did with the Cubs, I was thinking, you know, oh, he's going to once as long as he has a closer role somewhere, he'll thrive again. And that didn't happen. And the stuff's starting to to kind of, you know, he's getting he's getting up there in age. He's He's been used a lot. You know, he's he's pitched a lot over the last, you know, 10 years. So things are starting to wear down and it really depends on where he lands this year. Um, just as a free agent, I don't think I would even consider him. But if he lands on a team where he has a chance to compete for the closer role, you know, in a deeper league, I'd probably take a shot, you know, throw a late round dart to just to see, see what he can do there. Really to me, it seems like a mental thing. So Mm. I'll be hoping for a team that has a really good mental skills coach, which I have no idea who has a good mental skills coach, but I'm sure there's one out there. So uh, hoping for the best for Kimbrel. He he really had a bright start to his career, so I'm hoping for him to regain that and possibly 
push his Hall of Fame case forward. A guy who not many people root for nowadays, Araldis Chapman, had a pretty high draft day capital because he was one of the clear-cut closers on the Yankees who were destined to be a good team. And, you know, all the warning signs that many people ignored turned out to be true and he didn't have a great season 4.46 era he got just nine saves he pitched just 36 innings because of injuries and other stuff he was left off of the playoff roster it was really a weird season i am not a big fan of his so i really don't care what happens to him going forward but as a somebody who's trying to give good fantasy advice i think if he does get a second shot with a team that has the ability to put him in the closer role and doesn't you know, like has the ability to look past his antics and stuff. And it, it should be pretty interesting what he could do if he regains his form. But this is a guy who really relies on velocity and it's been dwindling for the past five years or so. What is your confidence level with Chapman? Uh, not high. And I, I hope we don't have to talk about him. I just yeah. hope we don't have to talk about him next year. That would be great. But um, yeah, it, 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 there's a, there is definitely a scenario where he signs with a team that has an opening, you know, to close out games. And he's, I don't think he's hmm, going to back with Cincinnati. Maybe that would be something. Um, I I don't think he's ever going to be, that's, it's not even just the, the antics. He's just, he hasn't been a good pitcher for, for a bit mm-hmm. now. It's uh, stuff's breaking down. Body's breaking down. Uh, He's definitely just, you know, and he might just be an invite, you know, spring training invite type guy at this point for teams to take a chance on. But yeah, like a name like that, who we've seen what he's done in the past, you can't completely just rule out um, Mm -hmm. for, you know, if you're desperate for saves. Yeah. Somebody that was definitely drafted by people that were desperate for saves last offseason was Mark Melanson. And he probably tricked a lot of people by having the most saves in baseball in 2021 with the Padres alongside a 2.23 ERA. Going to the Diamondbacks, he still got a decent amount of saves, 18. So he really he outpitched Chapman in, in that front, but he had a 4.66 ERA, lost the closer role, he struck out literally nobody. His strikeout rate was 14%. That's, uh, I'm pretty sure my strikeout rate was better than that, but... <laughs> nonetheless Melanson is not somebody I have any confidence in no matter where he signs I'm not even sure he does get signed it it would be by a team that is sort of just looking for a veteran presence at the back end of the bullpen but I am yeah I just have no confidence in him and I don't see myself drafting him in fantasy drafts but yeah it was pretty disappointing but you know you had to sort of see this coming yeah it's I actually I think I moved him up my ranks like heading into the season because like, you know, I was like, oh, he's he's at least a closer. He's going to be a closer for a team that that's got to mean something. Right. And yeah, uh, it doesn't necessarily you, you still need to be able to get out as specifically. It helps when you can strike people out and get swings and misses, which he just can't do anymore. And mm-hmm. it's probably we're probably looking at the end of a, what was what's been a really good career. You know, yes, like we talked about before a little bit. Um, Mark Melanson's probably going to be on a Hall of Fame ballot. Um, so, yeah, it's I don't think there's much. There's, de- probably, there's definitely nothing here for next year. But, um, yeah, it's a good career. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, Corey Knable was also a guy that 
many people were interested in this offseason, and it was mostly because the Phillies manager, who at the time was Joe Girardi, said that he was going to be the closer when they signed him, and he was right. He started out as the team's closer, 12 saves. He had a pretty solid ERA, and then I don't remember what happened, but things started to turn around. I think he just struggled for a couple weeks, and then they took him out of the role. Sir Anthony Dominguez took over, and then David Robertson, but he really fell off really fast, and I... It, it's it's easy to call him a disappointment. I think he was good for the first half, and if you traded him then, then you probably felt pretty good. But yeah, pretty disappointing for a guy that I think people were drafting very early on because he had so much potential and was locked into a role. Yeah, it's um, another one of those guys we've talked about a few that just health's always been that kind of their their downfall and just staying staying healthy, staying on the field has been you know, struggle and that's Canable was struggling. He was struggling a little bit before, before the injuries last year, but then I believe he had some, he had a pretty bad shoulder injury that kind of finished his season, um, which I'm not sure trying to figure out if that's going to affect him going into next season, but it's uh, either way, he's not going to be someone t- a team's going to rely on for significant to get significant outs. He's going to be probably another uh, kind of Nick Anderson or, you know, maybe he gets $850,000 to pitch in middle relief or just gets a spring training invite type. So no, nothing to really look at now, but we've, we've seen in the not too distant past can able be a very effective reliever. So if he's healthy, if he's at his, you know, max, you know, you know, ability, I, I guess, then definitely someone to start start monitoring definitely um another guy that sort of had his season derailed by injury definitely not sort of but andrew kittrich really got destroyed by injury and he was sort of in the boat that jason adam will be this offseason in that he was like the best guy on the in the race bullpen who got saves towards the end of the season and many people thought you know i'll take a shot at him sort of in the 150 to 200 range as a guy that may be able to get me some saves, uh, but you never know the Rays are going to Ray and Kittredge didn't pitch poorly, but he did get injured and he only got five saves as a result. Is he out next season too? Trying to confirm. He had Tommy John. Yeah. He's not going to pitch next year. All right. Well then we don't have to talk about his draft day value, but I mean, how did you feel about him going into this season? Did you have confidence yeah. that maybe he would change the narrative and start getting all the saves? Yeah, I was, you know, he was kind of in that, like, Paul Seawald, you know, probably not full-time closer, but should get the bulk of the saves on a good team, you know, tier that's very specific. But that's kind of where, you know, I was with him, especially, yeah, after coming off an all-star season, which is, you know, kind of crazy to think about. But, yeah, it's tough to tough to see someone like him go down with a – you know, with Tommy John, but hopefully, you know, he can bounce back for 2024 at full strength. I hope so too. Um, another guy who I think you will be hopeful that will bounce back this next season is Matt Barnes. He 
definitely disappointed me. That was one of the flyers I took at the end of draft and held on to him for way too long, hoping that he might regain his composure and sort of take over the role early in the season. He never did that. He did look more like himself towards the end of the season, but overall he finished with the fourth point three one ERA and eight saves. So not a great year for Matt Barnes, who seemed to be the clear cut closer in Boston, but I don't know. How are you feeling about him going into this next season? And and like, was this past season so disappointing that, you know, maybe you're scared off? Yeah, I'm not, don't have high hopes for him. Um, but again, like we talked with Schreiber, there's, there's a whole, the bullpen right now is not, uh, hopefully it's not settled. And, you know, there's just, there's not a lot in there if Whitlock and Hauk move to the, the rotation. So, as of now, Barnes is probably a top three guy in that bullpen, but you know, and he he showed us some glimpses late last year that like, okay, maybe he's starting to regain form. But um, yeah, I'm not holding not holding my breath there, and I would say he's probably not even worth a shot in in deep holds leagues at this point. Probably a wait and see type situation. Yeah, I, I think I would probably rather have Schreiber right now than Barnes and yeah. maybe even Whitlock, even if he is sort of in the rotation, because we, we saw that last year they put him in the rotation and he ended up being a really solid reliever. So I, I think it'll be not somebody that I would be interested in drafting. Um the final few guys that really disappointed us this season were Will Smith, Ryan Tapera, Art Warren, and Matt Whistler. Art Warren, we already spoke on, and Will Smith as well. Tapera was somebody who looked really solid the past couple of years and was definitely a guy that I was relying on to be one of the top holds options. And he was just not great. I think it's an angels thing probably. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely off him now. I think there was one time I picked him up for a day in my daily fantasy league and he got me like minus 20 points cause he blew a big save and it was really awful. So now he is my mortal enemy and I'll never have him on my team again. But do uh, any of these guys stand out to you in terms of having the ability to bounce back or a guy that you're like, like I, like I am with Tapera will never have on your team again. Um, see, I, I'm bummed about Tapera because he really, his slider was just like one of the better pitches in baseball in 2021 and in 2020, or I guess in 2020, it was considered a cutter, but still, I mean, 2020 had a whiff rate of 62.2 and as his, as his primary pitch and in 2021 had a whiff rate of 50.6 as his primary pitch. And then it went down to 42% last year, which isn't. Ter- uh, still pretty good but still it didn't make up for you know his fastball being um hittable so i would love to see a bounce back there i'm not holding you know not 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 counting on it but you know it's another there's another team the angels where they're probably going to make a lot of moves to try to get the you know right the ship there so be interesting to see what part he'll have um Whistler is just an interesting one because I was really high on him. And again, another just slider. I think he was like 90% slider with the Rays. And yeah, <laughs> he just, he wasn't pitching bad last year, but they still kind of gave up on him. And I believe I had him in my top 30 for holds and my, my holds ranks to start in the season. So just to see him end up getting, you know, just outright, uh, released at some, at one point in that last year kind of 
you know, shows how far south things have gone, I guess. I don't even think he was that bad. I think it was just a Rays thing where they were just yeah, he's, not really, they didn't really like him anymore. <laughs> 44, inning, 44 innings pitch, 2.25 ERA, 1.00 exactly. whip, but hey. <laughs> They they looked at his XFIP. They said four point nine zero. That is bad. A turn around yeah, the other way. Exactly. Which they I got ahead of it. I get because yeah, th- there was a lot of things that didn't look right or it didn't look the same as they did in twenty twenty one. But you know he, he's still getting results, so that feels a little little harsh. But anyway, yeah, I think I'm I'm off that the the slider Whistler slider train. Yeah. Um, Definitely a, an interesting pitcher. I remember when he was a, a top prospect starter for the Braves too. So mm. he's come a long way. But that's going to wrap it up for our sort of review of relievers for the 2022 season. So now I'm pretty sure we'll do a lot of more offseason stuff going forward. But, you know, it was definitely an interesting season. We, we will be able to learn a lot from the way that these guys seasons turned out. I think it'll be important to focus on how these guys do in spring training and where a lot of these guys end up in free agency. So we, we still have a lot to learn from these guys and, and going forward. But um, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Um, nothing really just, you know, Looking forward to yeah, like I think next let's go yeah, moving forward we'll start getting hopefully there'll be more moves the next time we record and we'll start mm-hmm. looking forward to, you know, drafts for next season. All right. Well, why don't you go ahead and plug your socials and anything you've got going on right now? Yeah. Um still at still on Twitter at I am Rick Graham and As long as it lasts. <laughs> yeah, that's but um yeah, and just put out my top 125 relievers for next season a couple weeks ago and starting to work on my just top 30 closers article, trying to narrow things down there and at least take Mm -hmm. my best shot at who's going to be closing out, closing out games for, for each team as things stand now. Awesome. Well, yeah, you can find me at Jake Crumpler on Twitter, uh, unless it, it goes down in flames like many are expecting. I write for PitcherList, Baseball HQ, and theathleteshub.org. So you can find me there. I will be putting out a lot of stuff over the next couple of months as I get back into the swing of writing. But yeah, you can always catch us over here on the In The Pen podcast. We'll see you guys next month, and that'll do it for the 23rd episode of In The Pen.